Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 14. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Yes, Evan, well done, mate. That was beautifully read. Um, if you would like to draw, if you're a person who listens better when you, your hands are occupied, you're welcome to grab. There should be a few notepads and pens or pencils around uh, in the backs of some of the seats. Uh, you're very welcome to do so. Um, draw a flower if you like. Draw... Um, Draw, uh, maybe try and draw, if you have a Bible with you, the, the poem, a time, you know, this beautiful poem about a time to born and die and those sort of things. See if you can sketch that out. There's um, a number of things there that you can sort of creatively arrange and um, feel free to do so if that helps you and ask, just tap on the shoulders to grab a, a clipboard if, if there isn't one near you. Uh, and then I might just ask, thank you guys uh, for the slides. A little while ago, a few months ago, my dad introduced me uh, to the term uh, that some of you may have heard, maybe not, a term called quiet quitting. Anybody heard what? Quiet quitting. Quiet quitting is a phenomenon in our world today, particularly among employees, workers who gain a sense that all my work that I'm doing essentially achieves nothing. (laughs) 
It's worthless. But I can't afford to just quit my job and do nothing and go and surf for the rest of my life because I have to make some money and live. So what I'll do is I'll kind of just do the minimum of what I have to do for work or school or uni or at home or whatever your situation in life is, just the minimum to get by, but I really just don't care. I don't really care what happens to the business or the company or the church or the school or whatever it is, right? It's it's the frustrated person who says, all I do is work hard to sell a product or deliver a service that people don't really need in order to make rich people even richer. And it affects really no change in a broken, messed up world. It's a student who says, well, I don't see the point of why I'm enrolled in this stuff anyway. And most students feel like that, so I'm a little bit careful on that one. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, you know what it feels like, right? It's a stay-at-home parent who says, look, I feel so wasted here in this never-ending flood of laundry. Never stops. Never seemed to actually change anything, and I don't know, despite all that effort, I still see my family falling apart. And we're losing our way, right? It's the senior who says, look, I strive, but nobody really cares about me anyway. I'm old, and I'm irrelevant. So I'm just going to quietly quit on life. Because what I do doesn't really matter. It doesn't change anything. Can I suggest to you that this is kind of what the guy who writes this book of Ecclesiastes is saying to us today in in, in his key question in verse 9 of this passage? Keep your Bible open if you want, sort of, as we work through this. But here's his question. He says, what do workers essentially gain from all the work that they do. What's the point? Your work essentially, perhaps, possibly, achieves nothing. It's pointless. Remember day one, if you are here three weeks ago, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, and today he just bears that down on work. Last week we, we looked at pleasure, today's work. Your work too, your effort, your toil, your hard work. What do, you, what do you gain from it after all? What difference does it really make? Right? And just like in the last, or the first sermon rather, that I, the last sermon I did, the first sermon of this series, the temptation is to jump in and say, oh, no, 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 no of course your work matters. Right? But I don't want to rush there again today, like we didn't want to rush to the good news last time because. Koheleth, or the teacher who writes this, he doesn't rush there today either. What he does to make us feel the severity of this frustrating question is he gives us this beautiful poem that Evan read so well. I might just read it again quickly, just, just to get it, its beauty. There's a time for everything, season for every activity under the heavens. Time to be born, time to die, time to plant, time to uproot, 
time to kill, time to heal, time to tear down, time to build. Time to weep, time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, time to scatter stones, a time to gather them, time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, time to search, time to give up, time to keep, time to throw away, time to tear, and a time to mend. Time to be silent, time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, time for war, and a time for peace. You know, on the surface, this sounds almost a little bit romantic. Beautiful. And, and, and rightly so, it's beautiful poetry, right? Trivia question, just for fun. Who was the band that wrote this into a beautiful song, even? Made it into the pop charts. Anyone? Who? Pardon? The Seekers? Yeah, okay. Yeah, Peter, Paul, Mary. The Beatles might have covered it. Uh, I've got another one on file. The Birds, yes. Trust the guitarist here to get us to the, the real... The Birds. I don't know the Birds existed until I sort of... Because I know the song, right? It's such a beautiful song. It really does portray the lovely beauty of it. And up front, we sort of want to read it and we go, it's beautiful because this is how life is, you know? In my life, there's just times where I need to do some things, and I need to work out what sort of season I'm in and apply the wisdom of figuring out what time I'm in, and that'll direct to me what I should do. Is this a time to build? Then I build. Is this a time to, you know, to sort of throw away and declutter? Then I do that, and it sort of guides us how we might need to live our lives in this season based on where we are in this home. And it's sort of Partly true, I think this poem wants to tell us that, but can I suggest to you that it's, it's probably not mainly what it's about? Because you see, you don't choose when you're born and when you're going to die. Nathan of Israel didn't choose when war would break out against them and they actually have no control or idea when it's going to end. <laughs> You've got no control over what the CEO of the company you work for is going to lead the organisation down or not. You have no control really over the choices of other people in your life. You have no control over what your children really ultimately will do. Influence and responsibility, yes, but no control. You have no control over your ex. Most of your life, the totality of your life is really set out for you. <laughs> the completeness of your life, the completeness of all of human history is fixed. There's a time for everything. And God is the one who laid down the times for everything. And we go, at this point, wow, I don't know, is that good or bad? <laughs> Recognising there's enormous mystery here because if you flick through the things mentioned, there are some real painful things there, right? Really hurtful things, really difficult things. How do you square some of those things with a loving, good God who has set a time for war? 
who has set a time for death. If, if you're new to Christianity, you'd say, well, yeah, that's one of my problems, my hang-ups with the idea of a, a good, loving God. I, I hope I can give you some answer as to why I think God is loving and good towards the end. For now, can I just acknowledge the difficulty that this raises, this idea of a God who is ultimately in control of all the times and all the timing of every event in your life, in my life, and in all of human history. That's what the poem is saying to us. And the reaction of the, the teacher, the guy who wrote the, 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 the poem, or all of that we read here, uh, for him, the thought that God controls all things is a source of frustration. <laughs> he's highly frustrated. You could even say he's, he's somewhat angered at it in, in the next verses it comes out. He says, this is a burden. You know, it's a burden because God, says there in that, that, that verse 11, has made everything that happens, and it uses the word beautiful. Beautiful is not really the, the best word there. I think a better word is God has made it appropriate or God has made it right Everything that happens in your life and in the life of human history, God has made right or, or appropriate. He thinks it's even beautiful. Beautiful in view of what God knows and God can see and God can control. But you, little imperfect, humble, creaturely human being you are, you can't see why this is beautiful, why this is right, why this had to happen right now, what is the point, what is the purpose, it's the eternal, ultimate, frustrating question as a human being, why? And because I can't see why, and because I have no control over why, this, this kind of hurts, it's difficult, it's a burden, is what Koheleth, the writer, says to us. He says, I... I know as a human being, because God has instilled eternity in my heart, a yearning and a desire for meaning, for purpose, for eternity and for value. I know there is some point to everything in a grand eternal scheme, yet I don't know what it is, I can't see it, and I can't control it. To me, it's not really beautiful. But to God, <laughs> who sees everything, who knows everything, who is in full control, this somehow makes sense. Good for him, Coelet says. <laughs> I'm frustrated. Highly frustrated. Even hurt. Because I don't know, in light of the fact that I have no control, and, I, and I'm so moved because I, I know many of your lives, I know that the hardships, the adversities, the, the pain that you have to work through. You, I, I've got no control over this. And it makes me feel, what is the point of any of my efforts? Why would I try? Because, because of this. My, my toil, my efforts, my work achieves nothing. It's worthless. So I'll just quit quietly and give up. Right? That's 
the teacher's frustration. I think that's the human reality that he brings us to this morning with respect to our efforts, our work, right? <laughs> and it is the bad news. The, we said before, he's a realist. He's the most real person in Ecclesiastes. We said on day one, is perhaps the most real book that's ever been written, dealing with things as they really are, in our experience, right? But we move on. What do we do with this? What do we do with this frustration, this burden? How do we respond? How do we live our lives then in light of this frustration that we feel? Kohelef, the teacher, moves on. He gives us two things, and that's the last two points I want to make. They're highly significant. He, he, there's two statements. Verse 12 that starts with, I know. Right? And then there's another verse 14 that says, I know. So he says, this is frustrating, but here are two things I do know, the teacher says. We'll look at them one by one. Number one, I know that there's nothing better for you to do than to be happy <laughs> and do good while you live. That each of you may eat, drink, and find satisfaction in your work. This is the gift of God. Now, your first reaction is, okay, well, I feel conflicted like a chameleon on, on Smarties because you just said there's no point in satisfaction and now you're saying, no, nah, just do your job and be happy and God will give you satisfaction. Which is it, right? And that's one of the real features of this book of Ecclesiastes. You don't quite know. What does he, what does he want? <laughs> He's being very realistic and then he goes, nah, just find happiness. Okay, here's what I think he means. We said this on day one, and it comes out in Ecclesiastes 2 as well, verse 24 and 25. I want to read that. No, I'll read it in a minute. We said on day one, everything is meaningless until you add God to it. Then it becomes meaningful. Andy told us pleasure is looking for pleasure. Outside of God is meaningless. Add God to your pursuit of pleasure. Make Him your pleasure. Jesus, your pleasure, then pleasure is meaningful. Today is just a repetition. Work and toil and everything you strive for essentially is meaningless. Unless you add God to it, then it carries meaning and purpose. Verse 24 and 25 of chapter 2 tells us, right? He says, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. And this key bit there in yellow. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Without God somehow having a part in your understanding of your work and your effort, what joy or value or purpose can there be? That's what redeems work. It's God who redeems work. But then I can ask the question, but what might be the sorts of things that God would want to do with regards to your efforts or your work in life? Let me give you five things really briefly that I think God might do. And here you need to do the thinking and God needs to lead you into what, what changes might have to take place in your life if you're not going to fall into the despair of quiet quitting. I don't know. We're all in different places. 
you think for yourself. And may God help you to hear the right one out of these five, right? Number one, you might be expecting too much satisfaction from your work. One of the greatest streams of TV shows we watch these days are, uh, you know, usually American TV shows where the workplace is where life happens. NCIS. Any NCIS fans in the room? I know there's a few. Yeah, uh, not really sure. Uh, suits. Um, give me any others. Yell them out at me. Workplace dramas. Bones. Yes, come on, confess. We don't know what you watch. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, absolutely, one of, the, one of the best examples. Any others? Parks and Rec. Um, it, many of your sitcoms, what, they, what, what, you, what you get portrayed here is that really satisfaction, happiness, meaning, purpose is, is found in that workplace setting. Um, what's the, the hospital one? Scrubs. Scrubs, yes. All of them seems to carry this suggestion that, man, that is where the ultimate satisfaction Meaning, value, purpose, lie in life. It's in this workplace. And I think we subconsciously take that to our workplaces. We go, man, this is what work is meant to be and give us. It won't. Okay? <laughs> it's, it's really more idolatry. God is the one who adds satisfaction to work. Not the right workplace. Okay? Maybe you expect too much from your workplace. Number two, you define work and purpose incorrectly. I mean, that's a related question. What is work? Right? <laughs> what is toil? I want to read to you a story from John Newton, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace. We'll sing one of, well, he's that song later in the service. Uh, there's a massive change in him that took place in how he viewed what work is. He went from a very successful businessman, slave trader at that, to pastor and other things. He writes this. He says, sometimes it feels to him like there are two heaps, and imagine two piles, right, of human misery. And if he, of human happiness and misery, sorry, one pile is human misery, the other one is human happiness. Two piles, human misery, human happiness. And he says this, if I can make but the smallest bit, or take but the smallest bit, from one heap and add it to the other, I carry a point. If, as I go home, a child has dropped a half penny, and if, by giving it, I love how old writers call children it, <laughs> by giving it, the child, another half penny, I can wipe its tears. I feel I've done something. I should be glad to do greater things but I will not neglect this. <laughs> you know, often we're frustrated with work because we view it incorrectly. Often it's the small, humble, everyday things that you have done that took a bit of time that made all the difference in your meaning and your purpose and the joy that you would find in work. We're so preoccupied about the great and grand things, thinking that's going to give me the satisfaction, but really it's the small spoonful of human misery that you took and you transferred it to the happiness that should make you lie in bed at the end of the day and today, oh, today was a great day because this small little thing happened 
And it's valuable. It's satisfying. That's what God wants for you, right? Define your work correctly. Number three, we forget that we're still in a broken world. It's somewhat related to the first one. Work won't be perfect this side of heaven. Never. No job. No calling. No career. No household. Nothing's going to really... It's going to be thorns and thistles to a degree. Right? We need to expect that to a degree. Be realistic about what work can do for us. How much joy it can give us. Number four you might lack the courage to make a career change. Let's be honest. There's some forms of work that shouldn't give you joy. Let's be extreme. If you grow marijuana, it doesn't give you joy. Unless you smoke it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just realized that was a bit of a Freudian slip. You might say, well, it gives me great joy. <laughs> makes me really happy. Um, there are some lines of work that, that shouldn't give you joy. Okay? If your reasons and purposes for work is really all out to get money and get rich and you find that you're unhappy, yeah, well, yes, you should make a change. You should look at changing jobs. If you're saying, I'm unhappy because I'm constantly overrun and stressed because I work 95 hours a week, you probably should make changes to how you approach work. That'll take courage, take wisdom, take bravery. Young people, we should call you. If you're making choices about careers, we should call you to careers that would serve the purposes of God in this world. I don't know what that might be for you. Might be to be a stay-home parent. Might be to a teacher, might be to become involved in a, in a uh, to start a business, but a, a very unique kind of business that fits within what God wants to do to shape and transform this world. There's multiple opportunities, but think about your choice of work and career, right? You might have to make some serious changes and that you might have the courage to do so. Number five, lastly, when we add God to work, you might find that for some of us, you're not working enough. Despite all the thorns and thistles, work's still a gift from God. He gave it to us before the world became fallen in sin. It's meant to be a joyful, joy-producing, meaning, value-adding aspect of your life. Yes, it won't be perfect. Yes, we'll never have it right on this side of eternity, but it's meant to be there. You're feeling unsatisfied because you, have, you can work, and um, that doesn't even mean for money. Serve is perhaps a better word. It might add to your joy for some of us, right? So there you have it, five things. You know, you might be expecting too much from work. You might define work incorrectly. You forget we're in a broken world. We lack the courage to make a change that you really need to make or you're not working enough. Those are all the sorts of things that God may say, when you add me to work, here's what you need to do. And then you'll find, hey, the burden is lessened. Work does become joyful, work does become meaningful, work does become purposeful. That's the first I know statement that Coelho gives us. And now we go to the second and the last one. (sighs) 
I know, he says, that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. We get back to our deep question. Fearing God doesn't mean to be afraid of him. It means to be in awe. In wonderful amazement of who he is and how he works and what he has done and what he is continuing to do. And here's how it connects. Behind everything that happens, the timing of every single event in your life and in human history sits a great sovereign God who uses it, the good, the bad, the painful, the pleasurable, all of it to accomplish his good and sovereign plan and purposes for the world. Think about it. Right, the wonderful truth of the story of the Bible, that, that it's God who created you and me and the flowers and everything we reflected on before. It is God who, despite our sin and rejection of every human being of him, comes to us and says, at just the right time, I'll send my son, Jesus, who will die on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin, in whom and through whom, I will fill you with my spirit and I will take your life and the life of all of my children and those whom I love and I'll make it all work out for the good of those who love me. I'm going to call you to work with me in what I'm doing in the world. It's a great sovereign God who does all these things and it should inspire awe and wonder in us. You know what that should give you? Two things. Number one, assurance. Yes, I don't understand it all. Yes, it frustrates me sometimes. But the assurance that it's all working for my glory in Christ. Dear friend, if, you, if you're angry with God about what happened in your life, may I ask you to please consider that he yet and still wants to make all that work out for your glory and for your good. Don't reject him. What hope for any of the suffering and the hardship and the hurt do you have outside of this wonderful promise that somehow despite my humility of creatureliness that I don't see, I don't understand and I can't control, but I have the hope that there is one who does know and who can control and who has made good and wonderful promises that it will all work out for me in light of his glory. (laughs) Come to him and hold on to him. Carry that assurance that it will work out for you in light of what he's done in Jesus and promised to do in the future. And then lastly, not only do you get assurance, but you get purpose. You know, your work, accurately defined when God is part of it, takes place and value in his work. Sometimes my kids want to help me cook a meal. Um over dinner, and I say, Dad, can I help you cook the meal? And I say, yes, sure. And they say, well, what I would like to do is make a dinner spot for the unicorns here in the middle of the kitchen floor. I'll help with that. And I go, that's not actually helping. <laughs> if you want to help, could you, could you peel the potatoes for us? In both instances, they're working, 
But the unicorns is not all that valuable <laughs> to the work that we need to do to get dinner on the table. Peeling the potatoes is valuable. You see, what my child needs to do in that moment is trust me. Trust me that I, as the adult, the parent, who sees the big picture and who knows what the objective of our work is, <laughs> will assign them a task that's going to help us with that. And hopefully, if they trust me, they'll find the joy and satisfaction when we sit around the meal and say, oh yeah, I peeled the potatoes because Dad let me. <laughs> Your work ideally needs to be set in the same way in God's work. If you trust him. That one day at the eternal meal, we're going to sit around him with Jesus and say, our little efforts of what we did actually helped him. Actually achieved the glorious ends and purposes that he wanted to achieve. You see, our work, whatever it is, how small or how great, set in his work and in his purposes has value, meaning and purpose. That's where it counts. That's why it's important to think about what we do in our lives with work. Don't waste work and stuff that isn't valuable, isn't helpful, because we're not setting that work in the work of our great sovereign God. Now, we can spend another series on actually, how does my career fit into this, all that kind of stuff, but I, I give you principles today, and I assure you that what actually is valuable to God is a whole lot. It's not going into ministry. A whole lot of things fit into that. See your life in that light. Friends, we know there is eternity and an eternal purpose to all that's going on. We cannot control it. We cannot even understand it. It's frustrating, even painful at times. But God is the one who, despite all our limitations, can add joy, value and awe to all that we do if we're willing to work with him. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the truth that meets us in our frustration and humility. I pray for each person here. You know what response we need to make to this truth. I pray that our work will count. No matter what it is, no matter how small, how visible or invisible, how creative or perhaps how boring from our point of view, Will you enter it? Will you make it carry value, meaning and purpose, joy and satisfaction as you've intended for it to have? And Lord, may we find the greatest assurance that our work matters because of your work. And in particular, your work that we will soon get to celebrate in the Lord's Supper. But through your son Jesus, you've come to reclaim the joy, the purpose, the meaning, the value of our work. We thank you for your work, accomplished and somehow yet not completed. Thank you that you're the great sovereign who knows all things, controls all things, and perhaps can make it all beautiful even in its time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing another song. And then directly after that, I might ask that we hand out the elements to the Lord's Supper and then we'll do communion. Thank you.